Hi, I'm Gabe. And I'm Mark. And this is Faking It, a show where we check our cultural blind spots, make up for past wrongs, and come to terms with the shameful lies we've told. So, this week, we are talking about the movie Finding Nemo. So tell me, Mark, have you ever seen Finding Nemo? I have not seen Finding Nemo. Oh, well, that's pretty straightforward. Why don't you uh, tell me what your relationship is to it? Well, it's... I've... I've kind of intentionally... Well, okay. Initially, I did not intentionally not see Finding Nemo. Like when it came out. Yeah. I Now, in preparing for this episode, I did almost no research. Good. The only research I did was to see what year it came out, and it was 2003. 2003, I was in college. I was not seeing that many movies in the theater anyway. I was watching a lot of old movies, mm-hmm. but that was normally at home or maybe at, like, you know, a special screening or something. Mm-hmm. But I was not, uh, I was not like, going every Friday to see the new releases for sure. So, whatever, I mean... Almost everything passed under the radar for me. And then I forgot about it. I, my, my younger brother I knew was really into it. But, you know, let's see, 2003, so I was 20 at that point. How old was he? So then he was 14. Okay. Um, wait, but he said he'd seen it in middle school. Are you 14 in middle school? You're 14 as, like, a high school freshman, I think. So it's like, wait, is it middle school? Like maybe 12 to 13? Maybe 14 is the end of middle school, yeah. right? Okay. Yeah. So let's say he's at the end of middle school. All right. Um, so he was aware of it. He had seen it. It was, like, part of his world, um, but not mine. And then I forgot about it, and I forgot it existed. I knew it was the kind of thing people referenced. I knew that Ellen DeGeneres was in it, I think. Yes. Yes. And that it was... a People liked it, but people liked every Pixar movie, mm-hmm. so it didn't really stand out. So, fast forward to last year, mm-hmm. when I am teaching in a college classroom, mm-hmm. right? I'm teaching a group of students. Mm-hmm. They're young. They're uh, freshmen, sophomores, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are, it's just, it's one of those classes where it's just not working. Like, there's just something is wrong. People aren't present. I don't know. So, I was like, I've got to reset this situation somehow. i got to, like, get us back to zero. Let's start over. So, I kind of, like, pull back. And I was just like, what are, uh, what are, tell me about movies, guys. I want to know what you're... Like when you were young, what were the kind? What's the kind of movie that if you referenced it to someone else, you didn't really know, but that was about your same age, they would immediately get your reference. Like, sure. what are those foundational generational movies? And um, they were throwing out titles, this, that, the other thing. And someone said Finding Nemo, and everybody else kind of like nodded or made sounds in assent. And I was like, really? So, Finding Nemo was that big of a deal for you guys? And they were like, yes, mm-hmm. it is. And the thing is, like, I was annoyed with these kids. They were just, you know, I love them, but they were being little shits. Mm-hmm. And there are only so many ways as a teacher that you can take your anger out on your students <laughs> semi-ethically. You can't get mad. You can't yell. You can't do any of that. No. Um, so... I decided that I was going to do it then. And I said, well, I've never seen Finding Nemo, which is true. And they all gasped in horror. And I was like, 
wow, you guys are really miffed that I haven't seen Finding Nemo. And they're like, why, why haven't you seen it? I was like, I don't know. I haven't seen it. And then, and this is the moment where I turned the screw, I was like, and I don't need to see it. Because mm. I know what it's about. Uh-huh. And they were like, oh yeah? What's it about? And then I proceeded to egregiously missummarize <laughs> Finding Nemo for these students who are horrified. Every time I say something, they're going, no, oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. That is not what happens. And I'm like, ah, you sure? I'm pretty I'm I'm pretty sure this is what happens. Yeah. Until they all um just were glaring at me. Now that I'm thinking Sounds back, like you really solved the problem in the classroom. Yeah, that that day. that day went in the trash can yeah. for sure. Yeah. But um I learned something interesting, which is that you know that this is a real touchstone for them. Like, this is a real important thing. And I also, because I tested it out in one other class just to be sure, the whole mm-hmm. thing where I irritate them by missummarizing it, uh, it, that's a real thing, right? Yeah. Like, there's a kind of weaponized ignorance yes. that I was deploying at that moment where I knew, like, I was trolling my students. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I feel actually a little bit sad because soon I'm going to watch. We're both going to watch. You'll never be able to do this again. I won't be able to do it again. I'll just be lying at that you point. You have to like make up some fake narrative yeah. that you had before. Yeah, and then that's not satisfying. No, it has to be an honest, that's fake, just deceptive. honest fake narrative. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I can't like straight up lie. So I'm sad to kind of be taking this weapon out of my arsenal. And I have to figure out a new one. I don't know what it's going to be. But God, I really just need ways to to get under my student's skin. That's my major problem right now. Uh, however, that's not what this podcast is about. No, 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 no. Um, what it is about uh, is is faking it, as the title suggests. I mean, I think this is really interesting because you've not wait. You've got a totally different yes, and I, and I'm about to I'm about to explain. It's a complicated answer to a very simple question. The question being, have you seen Finding Nemo? Um. But I think it, it, at least in your case and a little bit in my case, as you'll see, it's it's one of these cultural touchstones that you assume, everyone assumes they've seen it. Or if they haven't, they assume they know it. I, I want to say that, like, actually, I don't think most people who haven't seen it assume they've seen it. But they do maybe assume that they know it sure. enough to, like, as you did, be like, what's well, about this and about that? And there's a fish and blah, blah, blah. Um, Ellen DeGeneres. So, uh, to get to my complicated relationship to Finding Nemo, um, we go back a few months uh, when um, my wife and I were communicating with an, an old friend, and they had uh, he and his his wife had just seen Finding Dory, uh, the long-awaited sequel to Finding Nemo, and they asked us, "Had we seen Finding Dory?" And we said, "No, we had not. We had not yet seen it." Um, and I think my wife said something like, I mean, you've probably never even seen Finding Nemo. And I said, of course I have. That's ridiculous. I've definitely seen Finding Nemo. I saw it when I was a camp counselor. And she said, wait a minute. When were you a camp counselor? And I said, in high school. <laughs> when I was 32. <laughs> and, that, and that was not in 2003. That was a few years before that. So there's no possible way that I watched Finding Nemo in camp. With my little uh, campers. Uh, I watched a number of Disney movies during that time. But Finding Nemo was not one of them. Um, 
So this became then an issue immediately. I was on the, I was on the back foot because I was like, well, I've already, I've already shown that my understanding of this film and my proof that I've seen it, which is like, I feel like that's pretty convincing. It's like, I can't be watching a lot of movies with these kids. You probably, it would probably be in the mix in 2003, not when I was at camp. So now I don't really have that like kind of like er moment where I saw it, where I know I saw it, but I'm like, no, I've seen it. I've seen it on TV, in parts, whatever. It's about these fish. Somebody's finding somebody else. That's in the, <laughs> and that's in the title. So uh, no, it doesn't really get me that far. Um, uh, yeah, uh, it's about the fish. There's definitely fish involved. There's like, there's a parent and child relationship. There's somebody gets lost. You're or, just describing a basic archetype I'm of I'm really narrative. just describing the title over and over Did again. Did you read Joseph Campbell's The Hero with a Thousand Faces? Maybe. <laughs> um, in any case, in the hours and, and really the weeks that followed, um, my wife really turned the screws to me because I was adamant that I had seen this film. I knew sort of what it was. I couldn't really remember the specifics, but we see so many movies. How can we remember them all? In today's media landscape. It's, it's, exactly. And she was increasingly annoyed uh, that I, in her mind, was just lying to her and the world and myself. And that I had never seen this film. Maybe I'd caught a snippet of it on TV or even a commercial and had then convinced myself that I was so all-knowing that this it's, it would be impossible for me to not to have experienced this great cultural touchstone. So if I because just, I know everything. If I just pull apart the logic mm. real quick, it's like, this movie is a cultural touchstone. Mm -hmm. I know about culture. Ipso facto, I must have seen Finding Nemo. Precisely. Yeah. Um, That's and, like when Homer, when someone, remember that episode of The Simpsons where someone's like, someone makes a joke and then Homer doesn't get it and then someone tells Homer that it's a joke and then he laughs and goes, oh, that's funny. I get jokes. That's you. <laughs> that's kind of the, that's kind of the point of this podcast is that, <laughs> is that whole, that whole process and then like getting the upper hand at the end, but not really. I know, but I'm just trying to savor it because like mm -hmm. there are so few situations in which. I have been forthright and even amplified my ignorance of this movie. No, we have a very opposite experiences of it. Yeah. I was extremely confident that I had seen this film, although I could not really summarize what it was about or I what feel happened like, in it. I feel like even in this moment, as you're confessing, part of you still thinks you know the movie. I think I do. <laughs> and I think it's like in the in the in the months since that uh, incident. Uh, my wife has become increasingly convinced that I know nothing of this film, never seen a moment of it, you know, maybe have just seen like the cover of the DVD at some point, but really that that's it. And then I'm a liar. Um, and that this could be like behind a lot of, a lot more lies that I don't even know I'm telling. We don't even stuff. know what's going to get uncorked here. Yeah, sure. We've got like a real sleeper agent scenario. I mean, that's what this podcast is really about is me uncovering that I actually haven't seen or experienced anything. And I actually work for the CIA. I'm trying to crack the kind of code word, get your mm -hmm. sort of like, you know, buried Soviet persona. But I wonder if the trick is that there's just nothing there. It's just a bunch of these lies. That's always the trick. Yeah, there's never the anything trick. there. I mean, the one thing about Finding Nemo is that it did come out before this sort of cultural moment where I do think that a lot of grown-up people watched animated features as a sort of matter of course because they're quality films. You know, they've, be they've gotten better and better and well, better. Well, I mean, I, I think about this all the time. Do you think that it's that, like, people watch more cartoons or do you think that it's the kind of person who secretly watched 
cartoons, even when it wasn't quote-unquote cool, has just found themselves in a situation where now it's cool to watch cartoons, and so they can just be open about their viewing. Maybe. The friend that we were talking to, I think, certainly falls into that camp, where they have seen every Pixar movie and every all of those animated films in the past 20 years. I mean, they were really the first film... Not, I don't want to say the first, but they were... There was definitely the line on Pixar animated features was that they're great because they work on multiple levels Mm -hmm. and they're children's films that will entertain children and have lots of kid jokes, but there are lots of kind of like subtle or, or references or subtle jokes that kids won't pick up on that adults will and it will keep them entertained too. And so it's a movie you could go and watch with your kids and you won't just be bored out of your skull. Yeah. It's like, I mean, it's like the Simpsons in that way, essentially, although very different in sort of tone. Uh, It's a lot more earnest, of course. Um, all the Simpsons can be earnest, but uh, you know, that's the thing is I lived through that, but it didn't really make that much of an impression to the point where I could convincingly tell myself or anyone else that I'd seen all of the animated features in the past 20 years. It's still, I'm still at the point where I just, I have a kind of block on cartoons Mm -hmm. and there's some I'll watch. Mm -hmm. Like seen Coco. That's the, I haven't seen that. No, I I have a real, it's still animated features. Mm -hmm. I have a problem with, but like I watch Bojack Horseman. Sure. Cause it's, I mean, it's just so good. But like, did you see up or Wally? I saw Wally in the theater. Inside out. I saw inside out on a plane. Yeah. Planes are a big part of this, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I think that, you know, the comic book film and the animated feature are the two things that grown-ups maybe mostly gravitate toward on airplanes. Uh, no, I only went to go see Inside Out because it was just like, there were so many think pieces written about Inside Out. And I was on a plane, and I'm trying to think where... I may have been on... I think I was on my way to Japan. I had a lot of time to burn. Mm -hmm. And I had tried to take Ambien Mm -hmm. and fall asleep, and it just didn't work. So you started watching a bunch of movies. Yeah. As one does. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I I think I watched Inside Out in kind of an Ambien haze. Did you cry? No, but I did get more emotional than I otherwise would have. I got, yeah, I watched most of these more recent animated features on planes and definitely cried at most of them. I mean, I think that's like, this is well documented, this catharsis. It has to do with like pressurization and like oh, yeah. other factors, but it's a real thing. And also it's something I think that people now know enough to seek out. I yeah. certainly do. That's why I would put on Inside Out on a plane rather yeah. than putting on Netflix on a Tuesday or whatever. Um, I find myself getting, I found myself getting choked up while watching Mike Lee's Turner. Really? Yeah. It's just not... It just pushes the buttons. It's this this catharsis that we we know we're going to get. But like... Even the superhero movies sometimes. I was watching Winter Soldier and I got really emotional. Yeah, I did during Civil War for sure. Yeah. It's not the intention of those films to make you cry. Well, I don't think so because I went to see Wally in the theater and one of the reasons I went was because the commercials made me get choked up a little. Yeah. Like just watching at home. It's a beautiful movie. It is a beautiful movie, and it's a beautiful story, and it's and it's that I know I'm being manipulated by that cute little fucker Wally, right? But I went because I felt like I had to go because it yeah. was just I had to know what was up with Garbage Earth and the fat people and yeah. Wally, and, and yeah, and I wanted him to find love, and it was wonderful. Mm-hmm. I mean, so you know, the thing about Finding Nemo to me is it comes a little bit before; it's kind of at the outset of this era right like toy story i don't know when that came out but it's like i was i mean you were you were what 
I want to say that I was maybe in middle school or maybe, I don't know. Well, we can do a little more research yeah. before the second part of this podcast. Yeah. In any case, you know, I think that Finding Nemo was, was definitely one of the, among the first wave of really like powerful and doing this thing that's working on two levels and also just being an entertaining film made by people who really care about making entertaining films, not just like a kid's movie. Um, and it also had stars in it. Yeah. Yeah. Big stars, just like Toy Story. Um so in any case, you know, what will be revealed, I think, when I see the film will be either that this is a familiar thing to me. Um, and granted, like some of these, you know, some of it will just be familiar because I've seen the images on whatever, all kinds of merchandise and things throughout the throughout the years. What will be the sort of litmus test will be if I understand or remember the plot in any way. Because I think if that's not true, then I have not seen this movie. And that will be interesting to deal with. If I haven't seen this movie, I'm not sure quite what I'm going to have to say about myself. Or why I was so adamant at this advanced age, 15 years after it came out, that I had seen this movie that means nothing to me. I have no stake in this. That's, that's, maybe that's the other thing that we should talk about before we sort of wrap up this, this sort of uh, preamble. Is that the thing about Finding Nemo is that I was adamant that I had seen it. But who cares? Why, why make the argument? It doesn't. It doesn't mean anything to me. It's just a movie. Well, we're saying know. that. I mean, look, clearly, I have much more of a venture, vested interest in not seeing it than in sure. seeing it. Well, I don't know. Maybe like, we'll watch it and then we'll be like, it'll be the same thing where right. we're like, God, we're so fucking dumb. This is so great. I kind of doubt it, but we'll see. We'll see. I'm. Ex- I'm actually. See. I'm actually excited. It's gonna be fun, one it's way or another. Yeah. yeah. Um. Additionally, um, I think my wife is going to chime in on this. Oh, she... And so... You we know, don't need to talk about that because no, I'll, I'll be editing her in. So. I do want to sort of preface this, though, by saying that, you know, it may turn out that the lies are compounded in even the telling of the anecdote. How I'm this came just... to be. I, I'm very curious as to how she tells the story. I definitely trust her more than I trust myself. This will be an interesting piece of evidence mm. in divorce court. Mm. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see who's right and who's who and who wins. All right. So we're going to go watch Finding Nemo and we will be back in a moment. Okay. I am sitting here with Christine Smallwood, who is among many other things married to Gabe Boylan. And Christine, we need to get your side of the story. I need to get your side of the story. So Gabe has already told us about the sort of inciting incident, but... Uh, so he thinks on the one hand that he's seen Finding Nemo. On the other hand, he suspects he might not have seen it. And on the other, other hand, you definitely know he has not seen it. Gabe's evidence is really thin. Uh, when we first had the original disagreement about whether or not Gabe had seen Finding Nemo, he tried to tell me that he had seen it as a camp counselor. But Finding Nemo was definitely not a movie that existed back when Gabe was a camp counselor. So that's not possible. Then Gabe claimed that he might have seen it um, on some holiday. uh, Some holiday when he was home and his little brother might have been there. And they were all watching Finding Nemo on television. But that doesn't make sense either because I've been there at the holidays. (laughs) And we definitely never watched Finding Nemo. 
Okay, so so all of the times and places that Gabe thinks he might have seen it are either chronologically impossible or you were there yourself. Uh, so in Gabe's insi- how did Gabe's insistence that he had seen the film how did that affect you? Well, I understand that Gabe has a feeling that he might has he might as well have seen Finding Nemo. And I think this has to do with some issues about memory. So if Gabe had seen Finding Nemo, he almost certainly would have forgotten it by now. In which case he would be in the same position as someone who had never seen Finding Nemo. And so in the moment when he was asked, have you ever seen Finding Nemo? He figured, sure, yeah, I've seen Finding Nemo. In, in the sense that, like, I have also not seen Finding Nemo, but I'm going to err on the side of saying that I've seen Finding Nemo. This is, like, a very curious way of thinking about your own experiences in the past and of, like, time and memory. Like, going, it seems like this, because we we sort of have discussed this dynamic a little bit, but he's saying, like, uh, it seems like the sort of thing I have seen, it seems like the sort of thing I should have seen, right, so, um, and I know I don't remember everything I've seen, so therefore I probably saw it. And yet why? Why is Finding Nemo the kind of movie that Gabe would have seen? That's also what I didn't understand. I had an opportunity to see Finding Nemo in my own life. Um, I know exactly when Finding Nemo came out, and that's because I was living, it came out my senior year of college, I was living in an apartment with three other girls, and we were getting ready to host a rager. There were kegs in the apartment. There were massive quantities of liquor had been purchased. I was ready to have this party. And one of my roommates um, packed her bag and started leaving, like her purse, and started leaving. And I said, where are you going? And she said, oh, I'm going to see Finding Nemo with my friends. And I was really struck that someone would make the choice to go see Finding Nemo instead of going to attend the party that was happening in her own apartment. And and so I know for a fact that if I was a senior in college when Finding Nemo came out, Gabe was four years out of college. So it really doesn't make sense that he should have been going to see Finding Nemo at that age in his life. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think that... Um, now, Gabe described your reaction to his insistence that he had seen it as mounting frustration over time. That sounds about right. Do you think that there's something... This is very curious that these are your two sort of experiences with the film. Yeah, so I remember being quite annoyed at my roommate and also um, feeling that she was choosing a kind of infantile or childlike pleasure over what I took to be the business of young adulthood in which we were all as college students actively engaged in. Looking back, I think it was fine. You know, she just wasn't into the party and and wanted to go see Finding Nemo. Um, I'm not someone who's really kept up on a lot of animated films, except um, I have a soft spot in my heart for the Kung Fu Panda movies. Mm -hmm. And Gabe and I have um, seen them together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think I've lost track of your original question. Which was, how do you feel? And... And it's very interesting that I don't mean to psychoanalyze you, but you keep, I keep being like, these are two like instances that you took as a personal affront and you just keep being like, anyway, here's this other thing that I want to talk about. It's true. I guess I really have it out for finding Nemo. I don't, I don't exactly know why. Um, I, I can't, hmm. 
I've lost my train of thought again. <laughs> How strange. I think that it bothered me that Gabe felt like he had to be in the know about Finding Nemo. Mm -hmm. You know, I think I felt like it's okay for us to admit that we don't know anything about Finding Nemo, that we're not Finding Nemo people. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. You know, like I was comfortable saying to yeah. our friends who are Finding Nemo people that, you know, no, we, we haven't seen it. We don't know anything about it. Yeah. We'll listen while you summarize it for us and we care about you and your opinions about it, but that's not for us. Whereas Gabe jumped right in and he was ready to identify and claim some kind of membership in a community of Finding Nemo people. It's just so fucking random. Like, pick a better movie to lie about. I mean, not that Finding Nemo, like, I'm sure is fine, but it's I don't like... think he was lying. I think in that moment, he really thought he had seen Finding Nemo. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's like George Costanza says, if you believe it. It's not a lie. Well, I think it's it's what I said. It's what I said before. He he might as well have seen Finding Nemo. He was like, sure, sure. It's about that fish, mm -hmm. which would be his memory of it if he had seen it. Mm -hmm. All he would know now is that it was about a fish. Right. Okay. What have been the consequences of this? Well, I um, um I will admit to the listeners that I did not let it go. <laughs> And um, Gabe was a pretty good sport about it, but eventually um, I was told that it was time to drop the Finding Nemo interrogation. Whoa. Um, I'll also add that um, about six months after our child was born, my mother purchased for him a Finding Nemo bath toy. And then later Gabe said, well, I'm sure we've seen Finding Nemo because we have this Finding Nemo bath toy. And that seemed like a complete non sequitur. Is Gabe okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think he was grasping at straws, grasping at bath toys. Yeah. In that last case. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I probably made too much of the Finding Nemo incident when I'm honest with myself. Okay. Well, we're all now talking on mic about it. We are recording this in multiple parts. It's been a pain in the fucking ass <laughs> to schedule all this stuff. I'm glad to be bringing this issue back up in your marriage and... You know, not letting it die, opening the wound. Um, yeah, I think also, just personally speaking, I tend to be hyper-vigilant about admitting when I haven't seen something and will usually err on the side of saying I haven't seen or read something that I actually, it turns out later, have seen or read. Mm -hmm. um, and Gabe, I think, just errs in the other direction. If he mm -hmm. has some familiarity with the cultural text... Also, you know, it was a moment we were just sort of chit-chatting. I think Gabe didn't really want to interrupt the flow of the conversation. It's also possible that he just didn't want to listen to our friend summarize the plot of Finding Nemo, which our friend was definitely going to do if we said we hadn't seen it. And so maybe Gabe was just trying to hurry us along into the part of the conversation where we were done talking about Finding Nemo. And now... Now look where it's gone. Look what's us. happened, oh right? God. Because of my mania for truth telling, now here we are, two years later, um, sunk in the morass. Yeah. Well, it's a fine situation you've gotten us into. I just want to say I love my husband very much. <laughs> yeah, I like him too. He's a wonderful man, mm -hmm. uh, a brilliant man, mm -hmm. and uh, a funny man. Just can't remember a goddamn thing to save his life. Sometimes he can't remember if he's seen Finding Nemo or not. And you know, when you think about all of the flaws a person could That's have. That's true. It's not a bad one. It's not a bad one. Christine, thank you. Thanks, Mark. We're back. Uh, we watched Finding Nemo together. Um, 
And Mark, uh, do you want to tell me what I told you maybe about halfway through the film? I turned to you. No, the funniest thing is that you didn't turn to me. You, we, it was, I would say it was about a third of the way through the film. Mm -hmm. I think it's when the sharks show up. I think maybe it was around then. Mm -hmm. And your eyes straight forward, staring at the screen, you just went, I haven't seen this movie. Yeah. I think what I said maybe more specifically was I haven't seen a goddamn movie. <laughs> it was a. The thing is, I could see it on when I were a glance over at you. I could see your brow furrowing, like you were trying to dig down and like find the fucking. It wasn't there. No. No. Uh, certainly, you know, like images, like one sees in the world, mm-hmm. were like. Uh, recognizable to me were even familiar mm-hmm. um, as I think you all heard my wife state uh, we do have a bath toy that is in the shape of Nemo so Nemo is a familiar figure to me yeah we all uh, know what fucking Nemo looks like man listen uh, I, to me this had taken on like greater proportions because I really wanted to convince myself I had seen this film I had not but now I have it's great it was pretty fun watching your argument not what just watching your shaky confidence just completely crumble yeah at that moment yeah yeah it wasn't devastating in a way that i maybe anticipated it being because i had built it up a little bit um but it was uh it did it did kind of shake me a, a, a smidge um and that's what we're going to talk about today uh, among other things. But let, first, let's talk about the movie itself, maybe. Uh, not to review it, but um, you were telling me you did read some contemporaneous reviews, and, and they do have some interesting things to tell us about reception at the time. Right. Well, it's not what the reviews say. It's how they're written. That That's the thing that was most striking to me. Because I read four reviews. Oh. So, four reviews I read were uh, David, Edelstein, David Edelstein in Slate, Stephen Holden in... Um, the New York Times, Roger Ebert, uh, which that must have been Chicago sometimes, um, although I found it on his website, right. um, RIP, one of my favorite critics. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will not, I, I'm ashamed that I did not write this woman's name down, but she wrote the review for The Hollywood Reporter that I actually thought was the best written review mm-hmm. and the most thoughtful. But the other three... Um, and weirdly, in a way, the one that took it the most seriously as a film, it wasn't a super in-depth, like, analysis. It just, um, it seemed much more, it seemed to much more naturally kind of consider its cinematic qualities than the others. Was, um, was Edelstein? Was no, 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 no. Was the, whoever did it for The Hollywood Reporter. Oh, that, oh, okay. Edelstein was the most enthusiastic. Um, this woman whose name you can't remember, because why what, would you? She's a, she's a, you know, she's. She's a lady. I'm really embarrassed. I want to say it's like Sherry Levin or something like that. It's a name. I don't know. It's a name. Um, Edelstein was the most enthusiastic about it, Mm -hmm. though he clearly didn't really know how to write about it. Stephen Holden's review is terrible. I mean, it doesn't read like a professional film reviewer's review, in my opinion, which is weird because Stephen Holden's a good film critic. Yeah. Um, Maybe he wasn't 15 years ago. I kind of... It is not good. But was, isn't that just about genre? Isn't that just about what kind of film it is? Yeah. Well, that's the weird thing. It was just like a straight up like summary of the movie. And then like, it may be too scary. And wow, it looks really beautiful. And everybody notes how 
how beautiful it looks. Uh, it does look beautiful. And I do kind of regret that I didn't see it on the big screen. Um, but neither, I, neither of us did. Yeah. But just, got, just to reiterate. Yeah. I have a nice TV, though. It, it looked great. Yeah. We had a nice time seeing it. Yeah. Um, and it struck me that no one, I didn't, I don't think anyone really had the language to talk about the kind of film that was, and it's clear that they wanted to, to actually, they took it seriously, but that hadn't made it into the level of their critical craft yet. And I think that was interesting to me as a critic, looking at this particular moment in history where, you know, we'll talk about this a little bit more maybe in a second, where it's a certain kind of low quote-unquote low culture mass cultural um product um that they had not learned how to deal with seriously quite yet in the way they couldn't get past the animation right right and you know it's it's impressive still you know it looks like it could have been made yesterday um well plus like when it came out i'm sure that it was like marketed very heavily toward kids there were toys there were you know tie-ins with Fast food, whatever. Whatever happened at the time, I'm sure, was, like, aided and abetted that sense that it was not something to be taken that seriously or that you would necessarily want to reflect on your own critical position right. as demeaning that position. It felt like everyone had said what they wanted or thought they could say already about Toy Story. Right. And then they didn't know what else to do after that. Right. They were like, this is what it would feel like to talk about an animated film uh, and taking it seriously as a film right and now there's another one and i have to do it again and it's good and it's, and it's, it's also good it's is good. this something that's going to keep happening yeah the answer is yes yeah right um i mean this does relate to my experience i think i mean one thing that uh my wife said in uh, your interview with her was about you know um what, what was it she oh she questioned the sort of like whether i would have whether it's the kind of thing i would have uh experienced or gone to see uh, when I was 25 or 26. Um, and I think that in my own estimation of myself, whether it's retrospective or now, I think that I'm the type of person that would see everything. It's a high, low culture. I don't, I don't judge. I'm interested in everything that's excellent that I can get my hands on. And even some stuff that's not plenty of stuff. that's not. (laughs) And, uh, and forming an opinion about it and being like, you know, a master of, of this universe. Um, however, she's correct. Uh, when I was 25 or 26, there's no way in hell I would have gone to see this movie in the theater or even really watched it at home, no matter what kind of like other substances were involved or whatever, you know, like you would not, you don't, you don't think you would have like a stoned finding email. That wasn't really my bag at that time. Like to do that when, when, if, if, and when I got stoned, Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't like one of the things that I was doing. So yeah. She's right, but it's also like it's not how I think of myself retroactively. So, uh, so, so yeah, it's like uh, it's this thing where it, it really did kind of when you mention these reviews, um, it does have a sort of dissonance with my experience of the film now versus like what my experience would have been at that time. Okay, all right, you're intellectualizing this too much. You're like in the no. middle. I mean, not. I mean, you're not intellectualizing this too much. I don't think there's any such thing. But the the real why the f- now okay the final piece of the puzzle has fallen in place you've seen the movie so what the fuck was going on yeah why was i yeah what were, what were the stakes i mean i'm i was sort of not clear on what the stakes were in the intro to this episode my my wife wasn't clear on what the stakes were in terms of our ongoing 
uh, sort of, you know, thing about this. Um, I think it could be one of two things or both of those things. One is sort of general fear of ignorance, which is, I think, what drives, like, all of what we're talking about. So that's, like, less interesting because it's kind of the theme of what we're doing here in general. Two is, like... I think maybe like a retroactive thing, the prestige of animated films has only risen and therefore to kind of be like, Oh yeah, I missed that one. Uh, particularly in the instance, the, the originating the sort of Genesis of this whole thing with this conversation with these friends of ours, where there are people who have seen all of these films are very familiar with them and they think that they're masterpieces. And then for me to be like, Oh no, I didn't catch that. Cause I'm, that, you know, I think in that second, that split second, I was like, that makes me feel like less of that less than what I want to be. I'm not the man that I want to be. And the man that I want to be is the man who's seen Finding Nemo, appreciated it, saw all those movies. Oh my God. It's just like, you know, it just loves life. Um, Unfortunately, it turns out that you hate life. It turns out that I, um, yeah, I'm, I'm ignorant and uh, also duplicitous. Well, don't beat yourself up too no, bad, I'm Gabe. Not. Ignorant is really a stretch. Uh, yeah, you know, so but... ignorant of this one particular thing. But it's, it's just, it, it, it's, it will never stop being funny and fascinating to me that this was such a thing. Um, yeah. Well, I th- well, to go back though, I think it's all those things. It's it's fear of fear of general ignorance, fear of specific ignorance about the, like these prestige animated features that clearly mean so much to these friends of ours who I hold in high esteem. They should feel good about that. That like I was so sort of you're jealous. willing to lie so, and to like yeah, and also but 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 then also a more annoying thing is that like Christine was right in that I probably also. Uh, wanted to keep the conversation moving and also did not want someone else to summarize this film for me. Like nobody a wants kind to... of humiliation, a little, a small humiliation. Really? But to me, that was the that was the part of the whole thing that seemed the most plausible because I don't want to listen to anyone summarize anything. Even when I summarize things for people in that way where you're just like, you can't help yourself and you right. have to do it. Yeah. You know you're being boring. You know that people are just like, Jesus Christ, like, I don't yeah. need to hear this from you now. Yeah. And it's all, it's a, it's the most kind of like self-involved, one of the most self-involved things you can do in a conversation is to summarize this thing for people, right. knowing that you're not doing it justice, et cetera, et cetera. You're just doing it for the pure pleasure of reliving it for yourself. Right. To me, the desire to skip over that, to stop someone else from doing it is completely, I think that is a completely valid conversational move. Well, I, another... And I'll say it on tape. I'll say it, I'll say it yeah. now. Yeah. If I remember doing that, Gabe. You can just stop me. And just be like, no, let me, please let me tell you about this thing. No, 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 no. If I'm ever summarizing, if you're summarizing you have something, permission I can stop you. to be like, hey, don't do this. But is that what we want? Don't we want to let people, isn't it a pleasure to summarize the thing for somebody else? You're, 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 you know, we, if it was us, we'd be mansplaining. <laughs> but like, you're explaining something to someone who maybe does want to know about it. If someone genuinely wants right. to know... But where's the genuineness? I mean, I think that I trust my partner when she says that it's one of her values to admit when she doesn't know something, mm-hmm. and then presumably to set herself up for that narration <laughs> of what it is. And I think that, you know, I consider that one of my values. I think I've mentioned that before on this podcast. Clearly, it's not true. Like, in the moment, when it's tested, you know, I think that what I do is, like, half the time... I'm like, oh, I don't know what that is. Could you tell me more about it? And I really congratulate myself on like being so humble. You're well. You're a very good. I'll say this. Yeah. And is that you're you're one of the best 
sort of question askers that I know. More than anyone else that I know, if I mention something that uh, you don't know about or that I just seem excited about, you'll ask me a bunch of questions about it. Yeah, I try. Yeah. I try. But you know what? The, the, the degree to which I consider it part of my core being, I think I congratulate myself way too much on it. And I think that actually, uh, my wife, the woman I love, Christine, you can, Christine, Christine Smallwood. I just want to, I want to get in there that I love her cause she did mention that she loves me and uh-huh. I wanted to like really All right. put it across. All right. Enough. Also that this Nemo rift is not really like causing us to strive. Anyway. Is that for her? That value is like way more active. She's and also she's a better question asker, interviewer, whatever. She always has been than I am. She makes everyone feel comfortable, and when it comes down to these moments where she doesn't know something, she's able to very gracefully allow herself to just sort of be the vessel to receive. Well, I'll say that Christine. I do that some of the time, and Christine I think I'm okay is a is a fabulously gifted writer and journalist sure. and critic and. And and just sort of wordsmith, but I do think you're better at a sort of conversational question asking well, thing, right? But she's clearly better at like dealing with her anxiety about not knowing stuff. Okay, whatever. No, that's what, <laughs> that's what we're talking about. I guess so. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. You know her better than I do. Well, no, I'm mm-hmm. saying that this is a good example of that. Yeah, okay. You know, like this comes up. This like meaningless. It, it still is. It's like I go through this like oh, it's like prestige animated films or like general fear of ignorance, but like. There is no reason for me to just be like, no, I've definitely seen that movie. Mm-hmm. Like, other than just sort of doubling down on something because it's like, I'm digging a hole. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's all it is, but it is disturbing that it happened so recently. And it was, the stakes were so low, and there was really no reason for me to do this. Mm-hmm. This is why we're here. This so, is what you know, it took to get you to watch this movie. Yeah, I mean, one one other thing I wanted to mention was that, like, you know, some of the red flags, uh, you know, encountered in watching the film were, like, one, it's general excellence, which I think I probably would have remembered. And I think that, like, in my delusional remembering of the film that I was, like, I, I didn't remember because it had just been so long, I didn't really consider it to be that great. Does that make sense? Like, in the imaginary... Yeah, yeah. In the imaginary, in the fiction... Where I believed myself to have seen this film. It was alright. You didn't remember it as particularly memorable. Or your false memory of it was that it was not particularly memorable. Worse still, what the character or the actor who I remembered as being tied to this film was Ellen DeGeneres. Who is, let's just say, fantastic. She's great. And yeah. you know, I, I I generally I like her. She's 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 you know And this was her really I mean, if I'm remembering correctly, this is like her breakout. Yeah. Because well, she was not was this she, after Ellen? Mm, this was after her TV show got cancelled. Right. And she of course had come out on the T V show. Her right. character had come out. Right. And she had come out. Right. But she was not yet a she didn't have a talk show yet. This was her, this was a star turn for her. I think but so. she was in no, that was before she came out. She was in like a, a couple of romantic comedies, I feel like. Oh really? But she was she was middling. This was a big role for her. Yeah. In any case, who I didn't remember was Albert Brooks. Fucking Albert Brooks. One of my favorite writer, what? actor, directors of all time. And me too. Like And if I had seen this film, that would have been the first thing that I would have said. And like, I was Oh, the great Albert Brooks, he's so funny in this movie. He's so himself. He's so fun he's like I kept expecting him to not be in the movie anymore, and I didn't realize that it was kind of about him. Mm-hmm. Um and then the more it went on, I was just like, fuck, this is like a major entry in the Albert Brooks canon. Yeah, we were laughing. I mean, it was a it's a great movie and in large part it rests on his shoulders. He's so great. 
And that is, like, also really damning that, like, just that I, I don't know. It's not damning. It's, it's, it, it makes me feel worse um, that I would miss, like, make a fiction where I remember, where I knew the movie, and uh-huh. then it turns out that it's a movie that I feel like maybe I should have seen. Yeah. I, well, maybe not I, at the time, but at some point, I should have seen this film. Anyway, I mean, you know, now, uh, Victory, I have seen it, so here we are, yeah. and now I have mastery of all things. Yeah, Because clearly this is the only thing that I have not seen and have a fiction in my mind that I have seen. But now I have seen it, so anyway, no guys, longer... Anyway, guys, been fun doing this podcast. Uh, this is our <laughs> final episode. <laughs> I'm cured. Uh, this is great, and I, I thank you all for listening. <laughs> Uh, however, no, uh, we've already identified quite a number of things that both of us, we're a mess that we've just, we've missed and we lied about and, and there's, there's enough shame to go around for the rest of uh, several seasons. I hope uh, we'll see. Yeah. This is um, a Kafka-esque nightmare that we've gotten ourselves. Any involved. final thoughts on, on Nemo or just on this whole experience? I don't know why I'm asking you. I'm the like patient here, but go, <laughs> go ahead if you have anything. Oh, thank Oh, can I? Yeah, please. Oh my gosh, thank please. you so much. I'm giving you some time. Some, uh, <laughs> some, yeah. Well, I mean, I I liked it. I liked it. I was good and everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, Albert Brooks was the big thing for me. And because, as we discussed, my relationship to it is weird, but much less complicated than yours. Mm. Um, I was just increasingly delighted the more Albert... I was like, I thought it was... I, don't know, I really liked it. I liked it. all the performances were funny. Everyone was really funny. Well, what are you going to do now when you're feeling sort of, you know, the need to have a kind of petty uh, uh, experience? To throw a uh, temper tantrum in class? Belittle your students in this kind of weird, backward way that they may not even understand is happening. Yeah. What will you pull out next? I don't know. I'm a pretty gifted troll. So I think that when, when it's down to it, when my back's against the wall, I'll pull something out of the hat. Well, however, on the other hand, will this serve now as a kind of olive branch that you can offer your students? And there, is, like, well, there is. Have I, you guys seen Finding Nemo? And I, they'll be like, it's our favorite movie, and you're our favorite professor. Well, there was one we student. We love you. There was one student who was particularly perturbed mm-hmm. about it, and especially because we had scheduling problems for this, and I kept telling her, because she seemed like genuinely... Not, I'm sure it didn't ruin her. This is day. a current student. This is like not one of the uh, students from the from the. No, class it was from the most recent class. Yeah. But when I wanted to confirm my troll. Um, she seemed a little like perturbed, because like, after we had the initial conversation after class, the next class she was like, "So did you watch it or what?" And, and I was like, in. "I was like, I haven't. I'm I'm trying to schedule." So did you ever this thing? And then she, um, uh, I have to check back with her. I think she's doing okay, but she was actually pretty sick. And then at the end of this, she really, like, was a trooper and, like, pulled through and, like, showed up and, and you know, she's a pretty amazing kid. Um, but well, after, now you have a great after, gift to give after, her. Well, after the final exam, I was like, hey, come here. Right. I was like, I saw. It's great. You were right. And she, yeah, she yeah. laughed, so it was good. That's great. But as for the film itself... Um, the thi- one of the things that struck me, besides all the stuff, it's really funny, etc. Of course, like now, I feel like the um, the stuff with the sharks yeah. is super funny, mm-hmm. but I can't imagine that ever happening in a film now. Like, I can't imagine like yeah. the idea of addiction yeah. like that being played for laughs in a children's film. Well, and the notion of of a vegan or vegetarian lifestyle. 
also being kind of set up in this way. Not not as Maybe much less not as much that. It's just like uh, beat sharks have a fucking problem. Right. Um I mean and one of the reviewers, I forget who it was, so I won't I won't cast aspersions. I think it was actually David Edelstein mm-hmm. who made the weirdly pedantic point that like, yes, obviously if sharks did not eat fish they would starve. Um Really? Yeah, it's kind no, of weird. No, no, no. Um I what it felt like was that he really loved the movie and his editor had been like you need to have some kind of criticism in here about something. And he criticism. put in this, like, dumb that's thing. Really, that's really... Um, uh, but it, it's not about that. It's about the addiction. Right. And, like, kind of parodying the idea of recovery and parodying... Sure, yeah, I don't think that they would do that now. Yeah. I agree. Um, I think that would be a tough sell these days. I wonder how those sharks maybe appeared in Finding Dory. Maybe we'll have to find out. Yeah, give it another 15 years. Um, I mean, do we think that, like, I mean, here's here's the thing that we've, or we will kind of, I think, struggle with is, like, it's about the time in which things happen or we or we experience things. We're, almost all of these things are retrospective. I mean, they have to be. Well, but, like, but let's just talk about the current moment for a second. Yeah. Like, I didn't see Finding Dory. I loved Finding Nemo. I'm probably just never going to have time to see Finding Dory. Cause no, you will too see, much you'll stuff. show it to Lonnie eventually. Oh, that that's possible. I do have a child, so that's a good reason for that to happen. But if let's say that wasn't the case, um, there is a sense in which, like, the uh, maybe I'm wrong about this, but I do feel like times have changed a little bit, where, mm-hmm. like, a general knowledge of, like, we, we all sort of agree about this. People talk about this constantly. A general knowledge of pop culture doesn't exist anymore. There's just too many shows. There's, there's too no, many yeah, movies. There's no monoculture. Um, they've just ramped up to the point where you just can't catch everything. Or even the, like, bare kind of minimum There's of no things. point. Yeah, and, and, and I think that, that we've all stopped trying. I mean, other than people who are, like, you know, work on a culture desk or something. Well, but yeah, like, but even then, you like, know, this thing they constantly complain about. Where like, they're just, like... It's my job to, like, know everything about this, but physically it's impossible. Right. I can't even watch all of the TV shows, for example, that come out this year because there's hundreds of them. And there's more hours of television produced probably than there are hours in the year, so. Well, so the question then is, like, is our project irrelevant? That was a joke. Um, my point, <laughs> my question really, my question really is: is I got that, really scared for a second. Is this, a, is this a kind of anxiety that comes of an of a time, a little bit before now, when like it did seem a bit more possible to see most of the stuff that would be the touchstones that you would need to see? It feels like now, even big movies come out, and I'll miss them, and I'm kind of egregious about it. Like I'll just like miss something, and then just like forget about it and then people be like why don't you see that and i'm like i don't know but um i wonder if that's just going to become more common and like there'll just be less anxiety generally about this like missing stuff well i think that there are still things that compel that and i my sense is that those things are probably sort of like for lack of a better term subculturally specific yeah right so like black panther Right. When that I saw Black Panther. I saw Black Panther too, but I waited like a little too long to see it. Um Mm -hmm. or whatever. Like I definitely waited till the wave of enthusiasm had passed. And it's awesome. I fucking loved it. But um Um But I can't imagine it was the same for well, actually now that I'm saying that I'm thinking about the how many tickets it sold and it's not true. Like an insane number of people. A lot saw of people that movie. saw that movie. Yeah, and it no, was but, and it felt and it was like compulsory. It's like if you want to know what's going on, you got to see this movie. 
Well, I think that like here's a here's maybe an example that was more what you were kind of thinking of, which is Moonlight. Yes, a film that yes. I I still have not seen. I and thought that's to my to my discredit. I definitely. I feel like for me that was before a kind of sort of content wave crested. Hmm. Where people were like, this is really good, mm -hmm. and you should go see it. And I was like, well, then I fucking will go see it. Right. And I went to you see did. it, you know, you know, pretty soon after it came out. But that's specific to, like, our kind of sphere, or, mm -hmm. like, whatever, socioeconomic, educational class, all the things that make us up, that is, like, specific to, more than more so than, maybe, than Black Panther. Yeah. But, like, but what what I would say to that is that, like, that means that, like, you and I and, like, most of the people that we know have seen that movie, mm -hmm. although I haven't, but... You should, it's really... But I should, and I should have. It's really, But, really but uh, there's, like, many other, like, kind of general groups that, like, that doesn't even have... That's not even a blip, mm -hmm. you know? I don't know. Um, maybe that's sort of the way things are going. Yeah, um, for sure. I mean, this is definitely, like, this is definitely a moment when the monoculture was still intact. Yeah. When, like, there was the possibility of being up-to-date. Yeah. And of being, like, ha be actually being able to see every new thing that came out and to be able... That was good. Yeah. And to be able to talk about it, or good or important or whatever, right? You could do it. But, of course, that's before, you know, that's before the quote-unquote golden age of television. Like, right. if you watched The Sopranos and right. The Wire, you were fine. Yeah. Was The Wire 2000... Was that... Had that started at that point? That was... Yeah, it was yeah. contemporaneous. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, so... You know, there was like three TV shows, four, five TV shows you had yeah. to see, and then there were movies. You could see most of them, and like you could you could stay caught up if you were really into going to the movies. Of course, that's not possible anymore. Well, luckily, from what I've read, millennials and even younger folks are binge watching Friends and Seinfeld <laughs> like crazy. So we don't have to worry because all that's going to matter is the monoculture that did exist in the 90s Great. and the early 2000s. I'm glad, I'm glad that people like me who are old millennials and people like you who are young Gen Xers will be able to maintain our cultural hegemony for as long as possible. Yeah, we'll, all still have it, we'll all still be speaking the same language. Yeah. Well, thank goodness for that. Yeah. Uh, well, I think about, that about wraps it up. I uh, think it does. Do you have any questions for me to you know, finish this out? Or... No, you've embarrassed yourself fine just on your own. That's good. Well, another episode, more embarrassments to come. Uh, thank you for listening. Thanks. Bye. Bye.